I'm happy tonight because as I was walking in or as I was leaving my house, I told uh, my 18-year-old Charlie, I said, when I first got saved, first Bible study I went to, uh, the guy that was there kind of helping lead the Bible study, we were asking a lot of questions, and, I, and he looked up at me, and he said, had this real stoic look on his face. He said, he looked at me, he said, when all else fails, he said, just say Jesus. <laughs> just say Jesus. So, and that was almost 40 years ago, and I've been saying Jesus since. Uh, just Whenever I get confused, I just say Jesus. Is that you, Tipton? Okay, Tip, come up here on the front row, just since you're here. Come sit right here. Bring him with you. Whoever you got that you were pointing at, come on up. There you go. You're going to help a brother. So guess what? I, I, I remembered the guy's name. So on the way here, I just called him. So right driving here, I just called the guy that told me that. He answered the phone. And I said, I just want you to know 40 years later, I'm still saying Jesus. Anybody want to help me tonight? Just say Jesus. Jesus, 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 just Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Have you ever just been in a, in a moment where something's happening and you just say Jesus? I was in one of the worst earthquakes in the last century. August 8, 1993, the island of Guam was hit by an 8.1 earthquake for 60 seconds. And I was in room 911 with uh, Steve Hollander and Ron Lewis, Pastor Ron, and the room started shaking and the walls started splitting. And you know what I did? I just said Jesus. I just started saying Jesus. In fact, Pastor Ron said you also started saying Bible. Like I didn't quote a scripture. I just, just said the whole Bible. Just Bible. Like it's all in there. Whatever verse it included, I'm just calling on the whole Bible. Wow. So... You know, I'm, uh, there's a couple of things I want to do tonight, but the central theme of what we're talking about in winning in life is inner victory. Because if you win inside, then the outside has to change. If your inside is winning, uh, then it won't be long until what's going on on the outside has to change. When Jesus calmed the storm, the turmoil, he simply loaned the environment what the victory on the inside, the peace on the inside of himself, and just said, let me loan you the inner peace and brought that peace out into the environment. A leader is someone who brings the peace of God and the faith of God into any tumultuous situation and you just give what's inside of you to the environment. And that's why it's all about leadership being, uh, uh, you know, having personal mastery or self-control and having the fruits of the spirit and, the, and not, just, not just knowing the word, but having the word shape you on the inside. And then when you walk into an environment, then it won't be long until that environment changes. And so this is what we're about. This is what we're, when we say winning in life, it's not some shallow uh, that if you get your bills paid this month, that that means that you're living in victory. That would be good for many of us just to say we got our bills paid. And that that's maybe where you are. But ultimately, it's about inner mastery and, and the Spirit of God uh, doing something on the inside of us that we are now being conformed into the image of the Son of God. And that's our destiny. If you say, what is my destiny, Pastor Rice? Well, I can tell you this, that the Bible says we, are being, we have been predestined to be conformed into the image of the Son of God. So what the Spirit's doing in your life is trying to shape us shape me, shape you on the inside to look like Jesus and to respond like him. And so these moments of concentrating in the word 
And if you're watching this maybe later and you're saying, when did this thing happen? When was this winning in life? I didn't hear about it. Really, this is a series of meetings that we did starting several years ago to, it, it was under the assumption, or maybe the premise would be a better way to say, that just coming to church once a week and getting a Sunday sermon wasn't enough uh, of, of, of God's word to break you out of the orbit you're in. So we tend to get into kind of a gravitational orbit around a problem or a circumstance, and we circle it. And we find ourselves not only after months, but many times years, circling the same problem. And so something has to happen, and energy has to come to lift us out of that orbit to change that is just that, which is just, hey, we just seem to be going in a circle and repeating the same problems and asking God for forgiveness, but then coming back and do it again and are asking God, well, when will, you, when will you change me? When will the change come? And something has to come from the outside to lift us out of this pattern. One of the basic laws of nature is called the law of entropy. And that is, is that basically things go from order to disorder but another way to look at it is, is that if you have, a, let's say, a car on an incline, that the natural tendency is for that car to go downhill. And so a car, you know, obviously without some kind of restraint, starts going downhill. But what happens is God comes and stops that downward descent. And revival really is just God pushing something back uh, to the place it should be instead of allowing it, like the culture in a sense, going downhill this way. God comes and stops us, stops us culturally, stops us individually from this descent into disorder and into chaos and lifts us. Romans 8.1 says that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. So something comes, the law of the spirit of life comes and arrests that law of sin and death and, and, and doesn't necessarily say it doesn't exist. The law of sin and death is there, but the law of the spirit of life is a greater law and it lifts us. The law of gravity is a law that's always there, but the law of lift, if you get enough energy in an airplane, can lift an enormous amount of weight in the air. You ever wonder about that, about you're taking off in an airplane and you're thinking all of this weight is gonna get up in the air? That's a pretty scary thought. And then you get up in the air, of course, the thing starts shaking. Uh, Pastor Fikri said he was, uh, he was on his way to see me the other day in Chile, and, and he said his plane out of Miami said it was shaking unusually bad, and the pilot came on after about 10 minutes and said, we need to go back to the airport. Something I think is wrong with the engine. And I'm thinking to myself, good idea. Let's go back. Let's go back. But imagine all that weight in the air, and you get it off the ground. But guess what? If you stop the power, then all of what you have accomplished in getting off the ground now just drops. That's why I'm not really comforted when the stewardess comes on and says, we'll be on the ground shortly. I'm thinking, you need to qualify that a little bit. We will be landing shortly. Getting on the ground and landing are two different things. Assess it quickly, you know? So, but what we want to do is no matter how long you've been walking with God, if you stop the power, then you go into a descent. And it can be disorienting for you because you don't know what's going on. And the older you get, the more you kind of presume that, well, I've been a Christian for years and somehow God owes me just to keep me flying or keep me. A yes, God's grace holds us. 
You know, I heard of, heard of a plane the other day that dropped, you know, what was it, 20,000 feet, and they finally leveled it out. Um, really going to scare some of you from wanting to go fly again after all this. But you know what? That drop can disorient you a little bit. Even though the pilot got it under control, uh, there's something about our lives that once we've gone into that kind of rapid freefall, it disorients us and maybe scares us. And so we don't want to be afraid. We want to know what is it about your word? What can we do that keeps what you've started in us, keeps it not only going, but keeps us climbing, keeps us ascending, keeps us going from faith to faith and strength to strength and glory to glory. Can I get a weak amen from somebody on a Tuesday night? There we go. So I'm going to go to the eighth chapter of Luke because as I'm kind of setting this up, my father, some of you remember my story, my father was in a submarine in World War II, the USS Barb, and, and he was the guy that drove the sub. And my dad's constant thought, no matter how depth, deep they would go and how difficult it would seem, the, the difficult circumstances, my dad would say, as long as the pressure on the inside of the sub was greater than the pressure on the outside, we would be okay. Doesn't matter what the turmoil is on the outside. Doesn't matter how deep you're going. And the deeper you go, the forces begin to kind of almost like crumpling a can. And my dad would say, it didn't matter as long as the pressure on the inside was greater than the pressure on the outside. So when it starts getting pressure, when your life begins to feel the pressure of everything pressing around you, the question is, what do you do to strengthen that which is on the inside? You gotta, you gotta have some discipline. You have to say, I'm going back to the thing that I know. And that's why after all these years, I go back to these principles. I go back to these truths. I go back to these, uh, to these pillars and say, I've got to make sure that I'm doing this. The things that I started out, the things that I began with, the things, just like me saying, just say Jesus. I, that, was the, that was the first night after I got saved Somebody told me to just say Jesus. I've been, I've been following instructions ever since. That was the guy that, well, he, he didn't disciple me, so to speak, but he, he sure influenced me because I still remember 40 years later saying Jesus. But also what I'm going to read tonight were some of the things that I learned very quickly as a young Christian. And those things, these things are still with me tonight. And these are the things that keep the pressure greater on the inside than no matter what I'm going through on the outside. So you don't have to get excited. I'll get excited for you. I'm already fired up tonight. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, just for the sake of time, we're in the eighth chapter of Luke. Jesus is teaching a parable. Um, why don't you hold your place in Luke 8? Let me read Mark 4 because this is the, as we say in Tennessee, this is the similar passage. This is similar to the, um, similar obviously, but we kind of like to kind of be a little bit more creative with our language there down here in Tennessee. Jesus tells the story of a man going out to sow seed, and he talks about the seed falling on different types of ground. And it says when he was alone in verse 10, those around him asked about the parables, and he said to them, to you it has been given the secret of the kingdom, but for those on the outside, everything is in parables, so that while seeing, they may, they may not perceive, and while hearing, they do not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now look at verse 13, and then we'll go over to Luke 8. He said, 
Do you not understand, do you not understand this parable, Mark 4.13? How will you understand all the parables? So Jesus says to, the, to those listening to him, if you don't get this, you won't get anything else. And this was, this was one of the first things that I learned, that if you don't understand this parable, then the other parables and the other stuff won't make sense. So this very basic principle of seeds going into ground and growing or not growing, not because of the seed or the problem with the seed, but because of what was going on in the ground. Nothing wrong with God's word. Nothing wrong with the seed. It all comes down to what's on the inside. So now go to Luke 8. This is the, uh, the, the similar passage, the parallel account of this. Verse 9, it says to you, again, he says to you, has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but those are the others, it's in parables. So he explains that while seeing they may not see. Then he, then he goes into an explanation. He says the seed is the word of God. And these are the ones along the path that have heard, and the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Now we're going to come back to that. This is, this is kind of the description of the hard ground. The devil comes and takes away the word. And these are the ones on the rocks. And these are the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but they have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, they fall away. Mark 4, it says, when persecution and affliction come, they fall away. And then it says, and as for those who fell among the thorns, they are those who hear the word, and as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares, of the, the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Okay, so he's going to give three types of ground, and we're going to talk about that. He says there's those that are hard ground, and, and that's just like if you, if, you cast a, if you put a seed on top of this stage, uh, can't get into the ground. This is solid concrete underneath, but let's say it's hard ground. The birds just come and take it away. And that's what he says the word is like for most people. The, the enemy just comes and takes it away. Because if the word gets down into your heart, something's going to happen good. It says others are like rocky ground, and, and, and the rocks allow for a little bit of the seed to penetrate the soil, but they can't get any roots. And so it doesn't last very long. And then the final type of ground was that which was on thorns, and he says, these are the ones who the cares of the world and the worries of this life choke out the word and it can't bear fruit. Then he goes on to say this. He says, and as for those in the good soil, now this is the good news. Verse 15, as for those in the good soil, they are those who hear the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Now think about this. Here are those who are good soil. They are those who hear the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Now let me pray one more time. Father, help me tonight to communicate this clearly, succinctly, so that not only those that are here but those that are watching can understand what's going on. We don't want to be disoriented. We don't want to be confused. We don't want to default to some religious talk that doesn't make sense. If we're, if we're failing, if something's going wrong, I thank you for clear instructions from the Word of God as to what we can do to change things. And we ask you for that wisdom in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I think even in my prayers I was praying, I think about how that 
Christianese and Christian thinking, for the most part, just leaves us all confused. So we just kind of assume that whatever we're doing, that all people's actions are equal, and, well, God moves in mysterious ways, or maybe God's doing something here, when really that's not what's going on at all. There is a definite reaction or there is a definite correlation between the condition of your heart and the productivity or the results of the word in your life. And for some reason, we don't want to see that. We don't want to even know that. It's like, well, gosh, doesn't that make it seem unfair that uh, somebody's having difficulty here and it might actually be their fault or that might actually be a repercussion from the life that they're living? And the answer is yes. Galatians says it this way in Galatians 6, 7. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever someone sows, that which they will reap. There is a sowing and reaping. There is, a, there is a consequence. Now, that doesn't mean that everything bad that happens is a direct correlation from something that you've done or not done. But for the most part, I think that we do best to live our lives on that principle that if I do the right thing, I put myself in the best place to succeed. If I do the right thing, that doesn't mean that if I do the right thing, I won't be persecuted, I won't encounter trouble. But over a lifetime, if I keep living by the same principles, which to me is what prosperity is, it's just living consistently by the same principles until the compound interest of good things begins to overwhelm whatever problems you've got. And you look back and you think, look at this, a life well lived, the consistent lifestyle of doing the right thing has yielded good fruit. Not a get-rich-quick scheme, but a consistent uh, obedience in the same direction toward righteousness. Now, this is what this parable is basically saying, that the condition of the ground is what determines the fruitfulness of the seed. Seed's good. The Word of God is true. The Word of God is powerful. But it comes down to us and our hearts and what are we doing to keep our hearts clean, to guard our hearts. One of the, again, I'm, I'm kind of in a mindset of early early things I learned as a, as a young Christian. One of them was Proverbs 4. Very important. I want you just to turn there or look on the screen. My folks in the screen have great skill. They'll pull it up real fast. Proverbs 4, verse 20 through 23. Proverbs 4, 20, 23. My son, be atten pay attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Keep them. Do not let them escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Verse 23, keep your heart or guard your heart with all diligence or vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Guard your heart with all diligence. If you have a piece of ground and that's, that's your garden, let's say, and you're going to eat from that garden and that's the total uh, real sustenance of, of, of what you could expect to eat. There was no grocery store. You had to eat from that which you grew. You would protect that. If you had a piece of ground and that's what you were going to depend on for dinner, not only now but in the next few weeks and then storing the rest for, for the winter, you would be protective of the ground. And yet we're going to have to eat from the fruit of that which we grow on the inside and hopefully have enough to give our friends and give neighbors that don't know how to do this. 
And that's really what evangelism and, and the Christian life is, is that God gives us enough of a harvest that we can reap in, in for ourselves and our family, but to share with others. But we have to be protective of this. We have to be protective of our heart because that which goes into our heart will grow. Bad seed will grow just as good as good seed or just as, just as easily as good seed. The seeds will grow. It's okay. I'm encouraged. You don't have to say amen tonight. I know, I know, I know it's a little bit, it's a little bit, uh, anyway. Go, go back to, go back to, uh, go back to Mark. Let's go to the Mark version of this parable. And let me show you Mark chapter 4 again. And let's go to verse, let's go to verse 16. No, I'm sorry. Let's go to verse 15. These are the ones, Mark 4, 15, along the path where the word is sown. When they hear Satan comes and takes away the word which is sown in them. There is a spiritual battle for the word. It's a, it's a, it's a dramatic battle. And he takes away the word for a lot of reasons. He can take it away from most by just saying it's just not true. And that's what I end up dealing with most of the time in the campus side of what I do, going to schools and working with university students. It's basically the doubt that the word or the story is true. They just don't believe it's true. They don't believe that God, you know, the Bible is God's word, that uh, this scripture has anything to do with history. They, they literally are shocked when I begin to talk to them about the history of the Bible. That it isn't just a, you know, once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away thing. No, no, this is actually history. Uh, I remember when we had the ambassador from Israel came to Bethel a few years ago, and he said, when you come to Israel, Danny, I alone, if you remember that, if you were there then, Danny, I alone, then the ambassador from Israel to the U.S. said, when you come to Israel and I invite you, he said, all you need is to bring your Bible. That's your tour map. Because the same places that are written there are still there. They're there. And not only that, but what we have now, what we have now is what they wrote then. We have, the, we have the words. They're there. 1948, a little boy threw a rock into a cave outside of Jerusalem in what's called the Qunram area and heard a crack, heard, a, heard something like a pot breaking. And it was one of the greatest discoveries, if not the greatest discovery, archaeologically speaking, of history, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. And all of these scrolls that were, that were written almost a 1,000 years earlier from the earliest versions of the Bible or the, or, the, or the copies of the Bible that we had. So up until the 1948 time, the, the copies, the earliest copies of the Bible we had, when we got the Dead Sea Scrolls, it gave us a 1,000-year earlier look at what the Scripture said. So we could compare what we had then to 1,000 years earlier and to see, well, has it really been changed and tampered with? And it was the same. It was the same. So what we have is the confidence that not only is it his, historically true, it's archaeologically verified, um, it's, it's reliable manuscripts. We have more manuscripts than anything else of any uh, ancient document in history. Uh, prophecy, prophecies were made hundreds of years before that f were fulfilled. 
But not only that, it still has, if you look at the Bible, it has an extraordinary impact on those that believe it and, and receive it. And we are a product of that. We are a product of the extraordinary impact. But still, those truths and that knowledge, if you don't accept it, then you'll just discard the seed and allow the enemy to take it. But for the most part, there are people in this part of the world that know the Bible's true. They've got a big white Bible on their coffee table. Dear God, don't let anybody put a Coca-Cola on it. It's the Holy Bible. It's so holy I wouldn't want to read it. And the enemy doesn't take, it doesn't take much for the enemy to take away the word from someone that has learned to ignore it. And that's really where we are today. We are getting more and more biblically illiterate. If you read the studies that I read, they're almost shocking at how little people know the Bible that claim to be Christian. In fact, one of the latest studies I saw was that the atheists were actually more literate about the Bible than were people who called themselves Christians. That the people who were secular, why? Because they're studying the Bible to find the problems with it to deal with people like me and you to try to talk us or to, to out-argue us. But for the rest of the people, they sit back and somehow assume that, of course, I've read the Bible for years, but they don't really know it. And that ignorance is what allows the enemy to steal something. Because if you don't know what you've got, if you don't know what a promise is, if you don't know what the Scripture is specifically saying, it's easy for the enemy to steal that which God has promised you. And that, if there's anything that, and so what type of ground is it? It's the hard ground. And so what we have to do is we have to break up the hard ground. We have to, we have to say, God, do something in my heart. Lord, there's something, a hardness. And what that hardness is, it's because we hear and we learn to not respond. When you hear something and don't respond long enough, you develop a callus on your hand, so to speak, not on your hand, but on your soul, you develop a callus so that now you've learned to resist. You've learned to resist. You've learned to say, well, that, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And after enough repetitious times of resisting, you develop a hard heart. And when the heart gets hard, it's easy to not allow that word to go deep. The second, the second type of ground in Mark 4, we'll, we'll stay there because I'm going to come back to Luke when I get to the good news, when I get to the good soil because that's got the best description of a good heart, which we don't want to lose that. But look at verse 16. And these are the ones on whom the, the seed was sown on rocky ground. These are the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. But they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. The other translation, Luke 8, said they believe a short time. They, it's, they believe just for a moment. They have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So rocky ground is the ground that, yes, the seed can kind of have a, a measure of growth. But usually if you have rocks on top of the ground, there are rocks underneath the ground. And this is where we get into difficulty because these are the unsurrendered, submerged areas of our life that maybe people don't necessarily see. And so this is why, again, it comes back to what we would, in the old 
south here called revival. It comes back to a moment of saying, okay, God, there are things that look good on the outside, but I know there's something going on in my heart that no one else would know about that needs to come out, that needs to be removed. There's some unsurrendered rights. There's some attitudes. Uh, and it's always funny how the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The people, people say things. You ever, you ever watch people they, they, or, or hear about somebody saying something, and when they say it, and they realize that, oh, I didn't mean for that to come out. Well, of course they didn't mean for it to come out. They wanted to keep it hidden. But Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So something happens on the inside of us, a circumstance that shakes something out of us. I've seen people that are fine, upstanding believers. And next thing you know, they're saying something that's horribly racist. And you're going, where did that come from? I thought you were, oh, but see, they've been, there's been something lurking and hiding on the inside of them. And circumstances come and shake that out. And that's why we say circumstances don't create the problem. They just simply help reveal what's there. And many people have been shocked at themselves or what they've been capable of doing. But many times those things have been lurking for years. When God came to Cain, remember in the book of Genesis, and there was Cain and Abel and, and Cain's countenance had fallen. And God came up to him in the book of Genesis, it's recorded. And he said, Cain, what's going, what's going on? What are you thinking about? It would be like, what you thinking about doing? See, Cain was thinking about doing something long before he did it. And God, in this interaction, looks at Cain and says, why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, won't your countenance be lifted up? But if you don't do well, he said, sin is at your door. And then he says a statement that most people don't believe, especially in the South. He says, but you must master it. Jesus, through, I mean, Jesus in the New Testament picks it up, but here all in the, in the Old Testament, God's already telling Cain, you're going to have to win over this, Cain. You're going to have to master this thing or it will master you. And so the word can't work in a heart that's filled with the wrong thing. Now go to the third thing and then watch this because it isn't just the overt sins. Look at what Mark 4, let's go to verse 18. Others are those who are sown on the thorns. These are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So now we're, if you're watching this, maybe you're watching this and you're new to Bethel or you're new to Every Nation Churches and you're you're, you've just become a Christian, and you're asking yourself the question, or you're saying, boy, I really want to grow. I know about God. I know God's real, but how do I grow? How can I become a person that grows spiritually? It comes down to this basic, how do I say it, this basic gardening, this basic diligence, this basic watchfulness of taking your heart and, 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 and keeping these things out, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and just the distractions and the desires for other things. And this is where we're losing. This is where the average believer is losing. Okay? Is that we have, 
And I guess when I look back several years ago and think to myself, I just had less opportunity to be distracted. I mean, when I was a kid, we had three channels. Uh, you know, you just didn't have anything like we have today to distract us. So it is definitely greater, a greater challenge today to keep our heart clean, not just from wrong things. He doesn't say it was the sins of the world. No, he said, the, he said it was the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, which basically the deceitfulness of riches is if we just had enough money, we'd be okay. I just need to get a little bit more, and as soon as I get chasing this, then I'm going to really get serious about my spirit. You know, once I get really, you know, I'm going to make my money, and I'm going to really get... I'm going to really get right. I'm going to really do a good thing. Then I'm going to retire, and I'm going to just do something good for God. I'm going to open up a soup kitchen. I'm going to give some hams out at Christmas. I'm going to do something. I'm going to really get spiritual. I'm going to really get, when I get old, I'm going to do that, Pastor Rice. When I get old, I'll do that. Isn't it amazing how that, not, that time never comes? Because it's never enough. It's never enough, and that's the deceitfulness of riches. And then just simply the desires for other things. It is a, and don't think because we're in the ministry that it's any less of a temptation to, to desire something else than this word. And so for you watching, especially, this comes down to this basic commitment to say, I've got to find the way. I've got to find the time and put this word first place in my life. I can say this to you. If the word of God is not first place in your life, then you will not win. I don't care what church you go to, and you go from church to church who promise you, well, you don't really have to do that. You can just come and join us, and me as the pastor, or we'll wave our hand over you, and that'll do it, or somehow we'll give you some kind of special dispensation. It does not work, and you will go from church to church and place to place searching for somebody to give you the shortcut to spiritual maturity and victory without you putting God's word first place in your life, and it will not work. It will not work. You must put God's word first place in your life. And if it's not first place in your life, then guess what? The problem is that when it's not first place, then you don't bear fruit, it doesn't work, and then you either blame God or blame somebody else for making, you know, well, it was their fault or this or that and the other. And I can tell you that the mistakes you and I make when the word isn't first place in our life, if somebody does get you into a stupid deal and you fall for it, that's your fault. It's my fault. I'm responsible. I can't point at anybody else and blame them for my failure. It's me not listening to God. It's me being lured by some kind of deal that was, yeah, it was too good to be true. Me not having the wisdom to see through it. I mean, when I was in Korea years ago, starting a church there in Seoul, I remember walking down the street and somebody was selling me or trying to sell me a $10 Rolex watch. $10. Now, how many believe I was probably smart in believing it wasn't real? And I remember somebody got them that big old fake watch, and they put it on because they were going to really think, look at the deal I got. I think the first time they got into a worship service and raised their hand too fast, 
That watch just went everywhere. Unraveled like a cheap suit. And they realized, uh-oh, this wasn't what I thought. And the superficial veneer of something that promises you something, a shortcut, a get rich or a get spiritual quick thing. And wherever you go, that's why I say no matter what church you go to, you're eventually going to have to discipline yourself for godliness and say, you know what, I'm going to have to put God's word first place in my life. And guess what? Eventually you'll do that. When, it gets, when, when trials hit bad enough, you'll cut the TV off. I watch people when they get sick or something happens to a family member, then they get serious. They cut every, all the distractions off. They get serious. They watch what they say. They become diligent and vigilant, and they're fighting the fight of faith. And many times they're trying to, they're trying to lay a foundation on the rock, but they're doing it when the waters have flooded their house. Jesus said, when the flood comes, when you don't build well, he who hears the word and acts on it is like a man or woman building a house on the rock. And when the flood comes, it cannot be shaken. But those who are foolish, they hear and they don't respond. And then when the flood comes, the house crashes. And so we spend our time dealing with those. We go into flooded houses, not only when the floods come to a city, but when the floods come to individual lives. And they're now saying, what do I do? We'll come, we'll come help you. We'll come stand with you. That's what Christian community does. We don't sit around and judge people. We just say, look, let me help you. But eventually, we have to help you learn to lay this word in your life and put this foundation in your life. Worries of the world, deceitfulness of riches, and simply the desires for other things. Go to Luke 8 again. Let me close on this. Have many other things to share with you, but you cannot bear them now. You can feel that. But look at the good soil. It said, verse Luke 4 15. Or I'm sorry, Luke 8 15. That's what I get for not wearing my glasses, but I've got big print here, so I'm getting pretty close. A few numbers jump in and out here, but. And as for those that are the good soil, those, these are those who hear the word, hear the word. Let, let's just stop here. Hearing the word is so critical. Faith comes by hearing the word. See, I'm going to say it again, and then I don't want anybody to say amen. I just want you to listen to how quiet it is when I say that. Faith comes by hearing the word. Now, if faith comes by hearing, then wouldn't it be logical to assume that the more I hear, the more chance I have to get faith? The corollary would be the less I hear, the less chance I have to have faith. So, if you are struggling with a faith problem, pray for me, Pastor. I don't have enough faith. You really don't have a faith problem. You have a hearing problem, which is what your wife's been telling you. <laughs> now, when I was a young believer, we, 
I remember the first set of tapes I had, the first cassette tapes. And man, I got these faith tapes. And I started listening to those tapes. I got into the ministry, I, I just listened to the same, I just listened to tapes over and over again. I, I remember on my spring break, uh, I came home and I had a, a tape player and I was listening on spring break. I determined I was just going to listen to the word on, on my spring break. And I remember my father coming in to my room and he looked at me, this incredulous look like, this is spring break. What are you doing at home listening to the Bible on tape? And then he started quoting the book of hesitations. He said something like, you know, God helps those that helps themselves. And what are you doing? You know, he didn't understand it. And I remember saying something like this to my dad. I have spent 20 years listening to the wrong thing so much. It's going to take me a little extra time to hear the right thing. And that's what I'm doing. I'm trying to catch up. And those spring break tapes that I listened to, are still with me today. They're, I mean, I don't have them physically, but they're in here. It's like when you fry chicken and you don't quite get the, the stuff out of the pan and it's stuck there for some reason. I've got some of those, that stuff stuck in the skillet of my soul. See that? I knew I'd find a little help. See, I got a little amen on that one. See, oh, now he's preaching. That, 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 that somehow there's still a flavor. It's still there. And what it was, more than anything, was a confidence in the Word of God. Now, I've been to Reformed Theological Seminary. I've been to Fuller Theological Seminary. I've found out the correct way to, to view Scripture, so to speak, and to rightly exegete the Word and church history. But, you know, there's nothing that I've learned in all of my education that replaces the simple dynamic of hearing the Word and whatever is being preached from the Word coming into my soul and strengthening me, and all of a sudden, what once, what was, what was at the moment a defeat or a negativity or a despair, somehow something that I hear enters into my heart, and next thing you know, I'm different. I'm just different. And I can't explain it. I can't explain it any more than me putting food in my mouth makes my body strong. I put food in my spirit, and now next thing you know, man, I've got something. I've got strength inside of me. Now, your challenge and my challenge today is how do we hear more? How can we? And that's why these meetings are about hearing. Because I'm willing to speak to you and, and walk through the whatever, whatever distractions that are in your head and mind tonight. And those watching, there's all kind of, I mean, I can kind of see the signal of your soul going in and out. It's like I got a connection with some of you, but then it, the call just drops. In other words, I can just feel it. It's like, uh oh, I lost them. Hello? <laughs> they're gone. They're home now. They stayed here, but they're home. That's okay because I'm fighting. It doesn't matter to me. I, I, I'm not called to, I'm, I'm just called to preach the word. Pastor James, we're called to preach the word. Why? Because if we preach it long enough, and maybe tonight you'll get home and say, let me listen to what he was saying, and then you'll go back and say, wait a minute, the simple principle, the more I hear, the more chance I give myself to win. The less I hear, the less chance I give myself to win. I mean, I can walk into a room of people that don't know God. I do it all the time. I walk, in, I walk into a place, and I stand up in front of a group of unbelievers for the most part. And, I, and now what would happen if I did that and I said, hi, everybody, I'm Rice Brooks. If you'd like to get saved, come down front. 
They just stare at me. Why? They haven't heard anything. So there's no faith in them. There's nothing there. So what do I do? I take God's word and other things that from science and history, and I build the case because I've got to get them to believe God exists before they can really open up to realize that what they're hearing is going to be more than just the words of, of, of a person, that I'm telling them the word of God. And then after maybe an hour, I say, I want you to respond, and they come down front. Or they raise their hand, or they say, yeah, that happened. Why? Because faith came to them. Now, if faith can come to an unbeliever, if faith can come to a person that has no concept of God, if they don't even know what the Bible, they ain't got any clue. If, a, if faith can come to them from hearing, how much more can it come to us who know God is real, who know Jesus is real? And the very same God of this Bible that wants to save a sinner really wants to put you as a believer in a place of destiny and purpose. If while we were helpless, Christ died, how much more now will he freely give us all things and does he want to come to our aid and help us now that we're his children? So hearing, so a good heart, first of all, hears. Hearing. Put yourself in a place to hear. Come to church. Go online and listen to these messages. Find a way. Download messages. Do whatever you can to hear. This is what a good heart does. It hears the word. Number two, it says it holds it fast. Holds it fast. Now, holding on is difficult. Holding on to the word of God is difficult, especially when the forces of darkness are doing everything to pry it out of your hand. I mean, if you've got, if you're in a battle with somebody and they've, and, and you've like, we're talking about the sword of the spirit, the enemy's doing everything he can to get that sword of the spirit out of your hand. Why? Because it's destructive to him. It not only keeps you preserved, but your faith and who you are probably is going to be the key to a lot of other people. Listen. If you backsliding or if somebody backsliding ends up taking out a lot of people, I've watched people who left God affect negatively a lot of people. Well, if you can affect somebody negatively, you can sure affect them positively. And so here you are tonight with your life in the balance, and it's not just you. It's people that will hear you or watch you or are watching you to, and, and are yet to hear your words, but will hear them. And so there's a lot dependent upon you being faithful and holding fast the word. That's why the enemy's after it. You have to hold fast. Uh, my, probably my favorite show in, in, uh, as a young person was Batman, the, the real Batman with the pow and the, you know, golly gee Batman and the holy cow and all the, and you know, it's, it's interesting at the end of every Batman, Batman was always holding on. To something, you know, and it was like he was hanging off the edge of a cliff with somebody stepping on his toes, nuclear bomb pointed at him, and then the guy would come on and say, could this be the end? And you knew somehow, maybe because you were smart enough to read the TV guide to know it was on next week, to know that it couldn't have ended then. But there's something about holding on. There's something about saying, and, and you know, and this is where we need one another. Come on up here, Pastor James. 
This is where we need one another because sometimes holding on requires someone with us to stand with us to help us hold. If I'm asking, when I have Pastor James come into my life, when we, and this is how we do what we do, Like this is all stand up. Y'all just need to do something. I may be getting y'all, I can't get you to amen. I can't get you to stand. But sometimes, sometimes it's just a matter of joining with somebody and say, I want you to agree with me. Yes. And in the agreement, I'm, I want you to help me hold on to this, which means yes. that when everything in me is going to want to give up, I ain't going to let you give up. Now, if you get around somebody that's going to talk you out of the word, then they're going to let you, they're going to get you to give it up. They're going to be saying, oh, I'll just surrender that. Don't see if you if you if you find somebody like that, then you have partnered with the wrong person. You're going in the wrong direction. Yeah. Find somebody and, and tell them, say, no matter what I say to you, no matter what I say, do not let me let go of this. Mm-hmm. And if I and if I should say to you, hey, I don't want to hear from you, then come to my house. Absolutely. That's what we do. And deal with me. That's it. That's it. Come to my house. Yeah. yeah. In fact, one of the one of the one of the funny things that we get into is that is that our wives have the right to call each of us if they think that something's going on with either of us. So he, Debbie can call me and Jody can call him. And as soon as they start playing that card, we get right in a hurry. Don't we? I'm fine. I'm good. I'm good. Don't call him. I'm good. I'm good. Everything's good. Everything's good. No need to call Pastor James. I'm all, I'm all right. I'm all, I'm, I just saw the light. Yes, honey. You know what? I don't know what it was. <laughs> but for the most part, we spend our life, and I, and I use this because this is what we do daily. Probably three or four times a day we're talking to each other, and usually it's about how can we hold on together to this truth, to this word. This building is a product of a lot of people's effort, but I can say a big part was just us doing this and walking around. You know, it gets weird because we're two grown men, fully married and happily married, but we we walked in this building like this. If somebody walked in here, they might have thought we had a different teaching or something. Because we just walk around this building like this, didn't we? We just held on to each other. Holding on. And, and, and what, but we weren't just holding on physically. We were talking to one another. This is Greg Tipton on the front row. Greg Tipton was a quarterback at the University of Hawaii. Come on up here, Greg. I need you up here. Because you're going to say something significant. I can feel it. Greg Tipton was the quarterback at the University of Hawaii. And... I met Greg in 1987, and Greg has been pretty much in the ministry since the time he got saved. But Greg and I try to talk once a week. He's out doing great things. was just at the University of Indiana. He goes all over the world, uh, leading mission teams, leading our 10-day efforts. But I can tell you, when Greg, no matter how long it's been since we've talked to each other, we quickly meet each other. Tell me if I'm wrong. We quickly meet each other over the promises of God. And what can we do to both hold on? Don't quit. Don't stop. So a good heart hears the word, holds it fast. And then what it says, and then we're going to pray. And it says, and it bears fruit with patience. Let's pray. Father, I'm asking, come get that mic, Greg, because you're going to do pray after I set it up. 
I pray for my brothers and sisters tonight. Thank you, Lord. I pray, Lord, that a word revolution would take place. That men and women, boys and girls, would become people of the book. It isn't about our church or our group of churches. Lord, it's about your word. It's about men and women realizing the price that's been paid to allow this book to be accessible and read and believed and trusted. Lord, keep us from a, an evil heart. Keep us from a heart that's filled with greed and envy and bitterness and prejudice. Keep us, Lord, may we be diligent and may we be open to your spirit to keep these evil seeds from our hearts so that in a wicked and perverse generation, we can be a people that in an honest and good heart allow this word to be heard and go deep. And Lord, the things that you put into us as we read our Bibles, as we come to church and we take notes, Lord, you want to do something in the lives of these people. You don't want to just do it in the life of Bethel or Pastor James or myself or Greg. Lord, you want to do it in these lives. You want to bear, you want fruit to be borne by them. By this is my Father glorified, Jesus said, that you bear much fruit and thus prove to be my disciples. Pastor Greg, pray. Pray this prayer of faith over these folks and just whatever the Lord's leading Lord, you to say. This, uh, you know, even as Pastor Rice said, when he first got saved, he just said the name of Jesus. I remember very clearly that first week that as I started this journey, I remember Joshua chapter 1. He just looked at me. He said, you need to be strong and courageous. For you shall give this people possession of the land. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn to it from the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate on it day and night and be careful to do according to all that's written in it. Then I'll make your way prosperous. Then you'll have success. Only have I not commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Lord, give us courage and strength to approach your word. To go after you with reckless abandonment. Lord, that you're the lamp, that your word is the lamp unto our feet and the light unto our path. Lord, I'm praying for everyone here tonight. Lord, that we would freshly go after your word like we never have. Lord, like it's, Lord, it's even more than our necessary food. It's more than our the air that we breathe. God, renew a fire, renew a passion. Renew a hunger for your word in Jesus' name. I thank you, O oh God, for the promises, the breakthroughs. Lord, even as we go after your word, I thank you for the miracles. I thank you for the, the, the mountain move, the, the, the move of the mountain that's upon us even right now. Lord, in Jesus' name, we believe, we trust you, we go after you. In Jesus' name.